0: did dee dum, dum dum, dum dum
1: dum da da dum, da dee
0: Let me tell you a little story about a man named Andy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show where we watch old television to see why your grandparents' brains are broken. I am Marty Schneider, one of your hosts. I'm the other one, Dan Ludwig. And uh, we're going to get into a pretty good episode today. Uh, But before we do, I've got a couple of things I want to talk about. First off, big news, Breaking Mayberry is going to do its very first live show. We have been accepted to the Everything is Awesome slash Headstrong Comedy Festival here in Philadelphia. Uh, so Sunday, January 27th uh, in the afternoon, we are going to be at South Street Cinema doing our bit live we haven't fully worked out the details of what we're doing yet, but (laughs) it's gonna be me me and dan repping some uh some andy griffiths episodes in front of a live studio audience
1: it's going yeah no we we signed up for it and then realized oh no we have to explain an episode of a tv show to people who may not know what the andy griffiths show even is
0: so, I mean, that's, that's kind of what we do on this show, but now it's like we have people in front of us whose like faces can yell at us.
1: There's going to be a bunch of teens there who have never even heard of black and white television and who will mock us relentlessly.
0: But it's, 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 it's all for a good cause. It's for the Headstrong Foundation, which raises money to take care of the basic needs of cancer patients, uh, and fulfill some of those needs that maybe their insurance doesn't cover. Uh, so it's all part of a, uh, day-long festival in philadelphia there's gonna be a lot of other shows and some comedians there all the details will be in the show notes and on our twitter page and our facebook page if you're gonna be in philadelphia at the end of january please come check us out come say hi we'll be uh we we'll be happy to see you
1: yeah no it's gonna be good i i, I don't know what to alley you on about the uh the live show it's gonna it's gonna rule i'm going to uh we're we're in the family theater, so I won't be able to swear, so you can see me get a nosebleed on stage. Yeah, that's the
0: other thing, right? They put, uh, there are four venues for this, and they put all of the, like, ones that are about TV and movies and stuff in one place, which is South Street Cinema, which makes perfect sense, but we're also, like, one of the only two, like, family-friendly, uh establishments the other two are at bars so everyone's gonna be 21 plus yeah we forgot Uh, to tell
1: them that i swear like a wounded pirate during recordings so i mean the last time i tried to not swear i got a really bad headache so i think i'm going to like you're gonna have to get a spray bottle and just like spritz me every time i say fuck bad bad dan bad dan (laughs) and then just by like by the time we finish recording one of my eyes is going to be like swollen to the size of a baseball And I'm just going to be like having a nervous breakdown on stage. It's going to be great. Come and watch me maybe die.
0: Uh, All right. So let's go ahead and get into today's episode. But today we are doing season two, episode six, Opie's
1: Hobo Friend, directed by you're not my real dad, Bob Sweeney. Guy who owns an Irish pub, even though he's technically Dutch, Bob Sweeney. And written by uh,
0: a newcomer, Harvey Bullock. Who well, I guess is taking time from convincing P-
1: Commissioner Gordon that Batman's actually bad for the city. Batman is just, was constantly busting into the writer's room of this show to give him shit. Just just like Batman was giving him really hurtful episode notes like, this character's a little over the plate, don't you think? Uh, I, I feel like you could lose this entire scene. And he's just like, get out of here, Batman! <laughs> was that anything?
0: I, I, I don't care if it was or not, I like yeah. it.
1: Um, <laughs> I hope he's a reoccurring writer so that whenever uh whenever we critique his writing, we can just do it in a Batman voice. Come for the Andy Griffiths. Stay for the like third tier
0: char- like DC character mention. Yeah.
1: Oh, everyone knows Harvey Bullock. <laughs> he's been uh played by Donald Logue in a major TV show now. Oh, that's true. That's like honestly. I like Gotham for that. That's great casting. Um, yeah, Donald Logue should never not have work after Terriers, which I That can, dude rules. That, that dude, that dude that rules. That dude rules and that show rules, and I will talk about both of those things forever, so we need to move on to the next thing before I do. Stay tuned for our,
0: our new podcast, Terriers Cast.
1: But our new podcast, all caps, Why Did You Cancel Terriers? It Was Just Getting Good.
0: Actually, we could probably do Donald Logue's family sitcom, Grounded for Life, which I will still defend. Also a good show.
1: Yeah. All right. So here's the one sentence summary of this
0: show. The show that we're actually supposed to talk about. We don't want to do this today. It's been
1: like a half Uh, hour. (laughs) What's in summary? You had me do notes for two episodes like we're going to get through one of them. Opie
0: befriends a drifter who proves to be a bad influence. So yeah, so this episode is an episode where a hobo comes to town, played by Buddy Ebsen, who is best known for being Jed Clampett uh, on the Beverly Hillbillies. I
1: mean, so the show – the episode refers to him as a hobo aggressively, and I feel a little weird saying that, just like – Calling someone—he's not a hobo. He's not well. He's not. But first, he's not a hobo, but it still feels like I used to. I, it was a dick thing I used to do. Where as a kid, I thought I was like being cute by calling homeless people hobos, and I'm like, so now saying it out loud always feels like like a dick move. Like it feels bad. It, saying, it feels like a slur, right? Yeah, yeah, no, because it feels like because right now, if you call a homeless person a hobo, you're like cartoonifying them to make their shit not real. And so, right right yeah so it feels like i'm just dropping a slur like
0: kind of, kind of like uh like being as a kid you would say like you got gypped out of something or yeah like calling somebody a gypsy you know and you didn't realize that oh wait this is not a term like this is an actual group of people yeah uh,
1: no exactly yeah it, it feels like it that.
0: definitely feels that way but hobo has a specific definition or at least historically it did the character that we see portrayed here by Buddy Ebsen is not that definition. Does not fit it whatsoever. No,
1: as laid out in the incredible comic book Rock Candy Mountain, a hobo is someone that travels and works. They ride the rails and they perform day labor. A tramp is someone that rides the rails and doesn't work. And a bum is someone that doesn't ride the rails and doesn't work. So he's a tramp.
0: Yeah, specifically by these definitions, he's a tramp. Now, hobos, which are really just migrant workers, really... Are were pretty popular in the Great Depression. That's kind of the like peak of hobodom, and this is another one of those. It's the 1960s, but also the 1930s kind of anachronisms that happen in the Andy Griffith Show. Let's go ahead and get into this, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it. So we start off with that same hillside set uh, on the other side of the lake, where Andy and Opie are going fishing. They have pulled up in the in the cop car, and they're unloading their fishing gear. Oh, and this should be cleared up. They're talking about how Andy's got the day off. And to be very clear, they really hammer home the point with this first little bit. Andy says, well, I think Barney can handle it. I've worked really, really hard all week, so I guess I've earned this day off. And Opie says, yeah, and I've worked hard at school, so I deserve this day off. Relaxation is a reward for hard work. You have to work is a big theme in this fucking episode. So... They really they nail it with the first couple of lines.
1: Yeah, no, that's they they establish the conceit up and early. So as this is happening, there's this uh this figure sort of walking up behind them, little little menacingly. It sort of feels like a shot out of it follows or he's yeah, just sort yeah. of approaching them and they don't notice. The the figure comes up and it is what's the name of the actor?
0: Buddy Ebsen. Buddy
1: Ebsen. He he walks up sort of dejected holding a rod, uh sort of stoically dejected. And uh, they ask how the, uh, the fish are biting, and he says that it's really bad out there. He can't catch them even by using his magic fish talk. And then Opie, as a child, will do it, just be like, what's magic fish talk? And then he basically says, uh, he does like a little oh, thing and says, like, I can talk to fish. I'll coax them out of the water. And Andy just goes like, yeah, that seems like a thing that can happen. Just kind of like brushing past it. Andy asks if he's new in town. He says like, oh yeah, no, I'm just uh, just passing through. And Andy says like, okay, come see me when you come into town. We'll say hi. And then they they leave. They start going towards the lake.
0: Pretty clear that Andy knows what this guy is and what his deal is. You know, he uh, Andy's aware. Andy's been around long enough to know a hobo when he sees one. A tramp when he sees one.
1: But that doesn't stop him from leaving his fucking car windows open. Which is a very trusting thing to do in general. Especially like near this dude. Who immediately takes advantage of it and as soon as they're out of the frame, starts rustling through their car, pulls out their bag lunch and eats their sandwiches and while just like whistling and walking away. Establishes the, the character dynamic of he's really friendly, really charming, but is also completely a remorseless thief.
0: Before we get into this, I kind of want to wonder... I mentioned that this guy's known for being Jed Clampett. I keep, I always try to like say Judd Clampett, <laughs> but it's Jed because it very clearly rhymes with Fed in the theme song. He's known for playing uh, Judd Hirsch. He wasn't famous yet, remember. So at the same time that this was airing, the Beverly Hillbillies had only been on the air for like two months. Uh, On the same network, I should point out. Both on CBS. So I wonder how much of this episode was just like a contractually obligated... Like, CBS appearance. I wonder how much they were trying to get people comfortable with seeing uh, Buddy Ebsen on their screen. And if you like him here, you're going to love him where he's, like, the good guy. The good kind of hillbilly on the Beverly Hillbillies. Tune in Friday. It very seems like that kind of uh, deal. This season is full of, like, guest appearances like that. Yeah. Some of these episodes don't make any sense unless you know who the guest star is. So it dates a lot of these episodes really badly.
1: These shows were both part of the same push where uh, Southerners had just started getting televisions and networks were both all scrambling to uh, sort of snatch up that demographic. So they were probably trying to latch on to the success the Andy Griffith show had had and being like, do you guys, you guys like this? This is working. Put put the hook in. Like, connect this in their heads to the Beverly Hillbillies.
0: Between these two shows, Beverly Hillbillies, Andy Griffiths, there was Haw, which is probably the most famous. Uh, the Porter Wagoner show, which introduces Dolly Parton. And there's a lot of country music on television. Petticoat Junction and Green Acres, very f- similar tones. And a lot of these primarily on this network, on CBS. CBS pretty much cornered the market of this until about, like, really until about Vietnam. Yeah. Till about, like, the 70s. We've mentioned that great Gay Bullard essay where he just points out that as soon as All in the Family shows up, everything changes.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. And, I mean, Andy, it should be pointed out, Andy Griffith Show was not necessarily the most successful of all of these shows, but the most successful among Southern audiences.
0: Yeah, Probably the one that had the uh, the most, I'm going to say, societal... Standing, I'm going to say, probably the most, most influential. Yeah,
1: no, it, this was the one because it was sort of seen as laughing with Southerners as opposed to at them, which uh, Beverly Hillbillies and Hee Haw were, were sort of more of Northern shows. Yeah, yeah because yeah. the uh, more the Southerners were were the butt of the joke more often. So back to the episode. Okay, yeah, so no, we were doing th- an episode, right.
0: So we go back to the jail, uh, where Opie wanders in, uh, and they complain about the fish, and Opie mentions, maybe the fish were so hungry, that's why they took our sandwiches. What? And Andy lies. Andy says, well, we probably just left him at home. What? Uh, Andy knew what was going on there. I feel like he probably left that window open on purpose. See, surface.
1: I'm confused huh? by that, because Andy just sort of seems to blow past the missing sandwiches, and the way he interacts with, uh, with the hobo later, like... I would not trust someone who had just stolen sandwiches out of my car
0: i think I think you got this this is again where that like nineteen sixties nineteen thirties dynamic comes along uh I feel like Andy probably has a little bit of uh a little bit of patience and a little bit of forgiveness for Somebody who lives the hobo lifestyle, probably because Andy would have grown up during the Great Depression mm-hmm. uh, and probably seen hobos pretty often. So I think that he's got a little bit of patience there, but his patience wears thin real quick.
1: See, that that didn't – I i feel like he sort of didn't make the sandwich connection earlier because straight – like, if you pack sandwiches to go out fishing, that that's your fucking lunch. Like, he literally took food out of his child's mouth. Like – that would if if you went on like a trip like that and someone stole your lunch that would pretty much ruin the damn day.
0: Yeah, you would not be happy with your day. Honestly. Yeah,
1: so I would come back from that pretty massively pissed off. And if the guy who had would had very clearly done it walked into the room, I I might not yell at him, especially if like you were aware that that like of his of his situation, or am very forgiving of his situation. Definitely wouldn't invite that guy to come stay at my house.
0: Barney enters, and he's got uh, our hobo friend pushed him, pushing him in. He's in, he's uh, arrested him on a vagrancy charge. Yeah.
1: Said he caught him down at the train yard. Uh, he, no, just, no, he does not say a, va- a vagrancy charge. He says a vag charge. <laughs> he says <laughs> I I arrested him on a vag charge, and and he goes like a what, and he goes. Vagrancy, and then they just blow past that.
0: Oh, that one flew completely oh, under the radar. Yeah, for me.
1: no, and
0: <laughs> a bad a charge. Bad I, caught a, I caught him on a vag charge. <laughs> he arrested him on a yeast
1: infection. <laughs> yeah. I Like, I, I didn't know why they, I was like, they can't, that couldn't have been, they couldn't have had that term for it back then. What fucking joke were they doing? Was it just, like, Barney doing unnecessary abbreviations? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It's definitely a vagina yeah.
0: joke. Holy shit. Way to sneak that one under there, Harvey Bullock. I got mad respect for
1: you. Yeah, he's coming in with some heat.
0: All right, all right. So, uh, so he caught him at the train yard doing some vagin, uh, and vagin it up. <laughs> and he brings him in on vagrancy because, and I, I guess because he was planning on hopping a train. It kind of seems like what what Barney's gonna bring him in for. Which, by the way, if Barney had let him do that, he would have mm-hmm. been gone, and none of this would have happened.
1: No, yes. Yeah, so this is the first of two absolutely horseshit arrests that Barney does. Where Barney is prowling the train yard for guys who are hitching rides. Barney is prowling the train yard for some vag. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> where you know where you go for a, for, for a good piece of vag. <laughs> the train Tell you yard. what, man. Uh, and if
0: you're if you're down looking at the train yard, you're looking for something other than vag, my That is <laughs> that is how that goes. No one goes cruising for vag at the train <laughs> He's yard.
1: Cruising for vag at the train yard it's the most like he was like vagrancy he was trying to leave town and it was like and he was he really emphasized like like this motherfucker was trying to leave how dare he i arrested him and then the the, the second
0: time he arrests uh our our friend his, his friend has a name by the way david brown mr dave is what they call him the second time he arrests mr dave It's for loitering. Yeah, And Mr. Dave, our our hobo friend, even points out, like, I don't want to break the law, but you're bringing me in for anything anyway. If I leave, then I'm – if I move, then I'm vagrant, and if I stay still, then I'm loitering. What do you want me to do?
1: Can we – all right, so this is as good a point as any to really discuss a, a specific thing. Does Mr. Dave rule? I, my feelings on this man changed so many times over the course of a single episode. Like, one scene, like, that fucking line, I was like, hell yeah, get his ass, Dave! Burn down the system! And then another scene, I'm like, ah, you're being a prick.
0: Fuck you. Like He's definitely the most ambiguous character we've seen on this show so far. I mean... Everybody else seems pretty clear. Like, you're supposed to be on the side of Andy and, like... But he's like, Mr. Dave is kind of kind of on the fence there.
1: I feel like Mr. Dave is pure anarchy. and I, I feel like my relationship with that is my relationship with a concept of anarchy of just like, fuck, yeah, this fucking rules to immediately being like, oh, well, this is uh, practically upsetting. So, yeah, no, the most complicated character, definitely the most rage against the machine of anyone on the Andy Griffith show. Mr. Dave burns shit down.
0: Barney Fife and the writing behind Barney Fife pretty much like shows his whole ass uh that second time that he arrests him. And uh Mr. Dave says that line, like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And Andy tries to take pity on him. Barney specifically says, well, look at him, Andy. He's got no visible means of support. Yeah. He's literally arresting him for being poor. That is Barney Fife's idea of a crime.
1: Well, all right. So during this first arrest... Uh, they So he brings him in. He's like, this is a vagrant. And Andy starts just like bullshitting him with about fishing. Barney freaks out. Mr. Brown says, I'm here on business. And Barney says, I checked him. He ain't got a cent on him. So he searched him for fucking money and decided to go with the arrest because he didn't have any money on him. So, like, yeah. he 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 verified this, that this guy was fucking poor. He very, in the most literal senses, arrested a motherfucker for being poor. And through multiple, like, conversations, treats not having money like a thing that justifies breaking the social contract.
0: It's, it's a thing in this show, right? Because we've seen people who are poor in this show. We've seen people who are poor so they take to moonshining. We've seen people who are poor so they're about to get kicked out of their house. The 1960s mentality towards poverty is very weird in this show. Yeah, um, and, But ev- but every single time we see somebody who's, like, about to lose their house, like, they really emphasize, oh, we're trying, Andy. Yeah. We're trying so hard. Now, I think what makes Mr. Dave the quote-unquote bad guy, the guy that we're not supposed to agree with. Uh, is that he clearly doesn't try and doesn't show any interest in trying. And it's this very, like, interesting, like, 1960s fucking I- baby boomer ass idea. People are poor because they just, because they want to be, right? Some people are just, they just are too lazy to work.
1: Yeah, no, M- Mr. Dave, Simo- like, sort of represents a little bit of a boogeyman uh, of, yeah. of of not buying into society, which we can we can take our time in getting into. Barney starts flipping shit. Mr. Dave talks about how he doesn't carry cash and then does close-up magic. He's really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah basically says like oh you know uh, I I find it cumbersome to carry cash on me and whenever I need some and he just like he uh, he borrows a coin from Andy and then pulls it out of Opie's ear and then makes the coin disappear so he does like like I can make it come anytime and oh when you have money it tends to disappear opie then immediately asks barney if he can do that which barney immediately goes like i absolutely could if i wanted to just like the most like childish like man boyish display of inadequacy of just like 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 becoming immediately jealous of the slightest example of another person being competent andy sends opie out and he tells him to
0: just have his rest your uh rest your jaw he lets Mr. Dave, go. Mr. Dave tries to take the coin away, but Andy catches him and says, hey, come on, man. You can't bullshit a bullshitter. Yeah. And he takes his coin back.
1: And that's about it, right? You did quickly say, rest your jaw, which is going to sound weird <laughs> out of context. He, Opie, he, Barney. I'm sorry, he says, re- he, uh, you've got the note here.
0: Rest your ears and work your jaw. Yep. Yeah, please explain what I mean. Okay, yep. so
1: uh, Barney and and Andy start to argue. And Andy is like, okay, Opie, get out of here. We're about to scream at each other. And Opie just says, "Uh." I want to listen to this. This sounds interesting. And Andy says, here's money. Go to the gumball machine. Rest your ears and work your jaw. And and then sends him out, which is a really fucking, I don't know if that's a really good line or just a really weird line. It's a good line. It's a weird thing to say to a child.
0: Oh boy, does he ever work his fucking jaw though? Yeah. with that On that gumball machine. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, We'll get, to, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, so, but the, uh, the, so the
1: line yeah. that Barney says after Opie leaves, which is fucking hilarious, is he's no ordinary hobo. He's too slick. Maybe he's part of Al Capone's gang. Why, he could be Mr. Big himself. Which is Mr. Big Al Capone? Is that like a, a name for Mr. I
0: think so. I think
1: so. Yeah, yeah so he, Barney is immediately suspicious that this wandering. A slick hobo might be al capone. Like he's not That seems like a backwards explanation, right? I feel like
0: I feel like Barney didn't actually believe that, but he started to claim that
1: after his initial arrest for being poor didn't Yeah, no. He's he immediately jumped to this guy being the love interest from Sex and the City. <laughs> seems like a post post uh scolding rationalization, but whatever. So he's just, like, wildly throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Meanwhile,
0: meanwhile, outside, Opie and Mr. Dave are at the gumball machine. Opie is about to spend some money on a gumball when Mr. Dave, basically using, uh, like, a lockpick, essentially, teaches him to steal gumballs using the magic touch.
1: Yeah. He doesn't actually teach him how to break the gumball machine. He tells him, like, if you touch the gumball machine and do a magic word... The gumball will just come out. So he is teaching him how to do crime wrong. So Opie is just going to be standing at this gumball machine, slapping it and just saying fuck, what was the magic word? Tuscarora. Yeah. Opie is just going to be standing at this gumball machine, slapping it like Tuscarora, Tuscarora. God damn it. Tuscarora. <laughs> like he's going to live the remainder of his life. Just like wan- wondering what he's saying wrong about this magic word.
0: I mean, it's it's really weird because Mr. Dave clearly has like, like, it looks like a lock pick or like a, uh, like an Allen wrench or something. He's clearly got a tool that he's using that Opie does not
1: possess. Yeah. So no, like, even after he shows him this, it's useless to Opie. He's like, hey Opie, did you, so crime is cool and awesome. I'm going to teach you how to do it wrong. Cause he's teaching, yeah. like throughout the episode, he teaches Opie that crime is just magic. Yeah, so, he's
0: he's really not good at this whole artful dodger type kind of shit.
1: Yeah, no,
0: that's right. That was a literary ass reference on this show. Suck yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, we're highbrow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he's so he's teaching Opie not really how to be a criminal, but really more how to be a uh, a malcontent Harry Potter cosplayer.
0: Yeah, he's really just kind of trying to do the whole uh like lovable uncle kind of shtick. Uh and uh and er, Opie even says like, well, isn't that cheating? Because he's like getting a free gumball, and Opie believes that you have to pay a a fee to get a gumball. That's how he he works. And the justification that Mister Dave gives is essentially like, what the hell does this machine need a penny for? Yeah. Right? The machine doesn't need money. The machine doesn't need to feed anyone. The machine is just happy to give you a gumball. It doesn't need to buy food or go fishing or whatever. It's a damn machine. It's actually a pretty convincing argument.
1: No, honestly. it is. No, I mean, all right. I He he starts to do an argument that I'm, I'm on board for where it's like kind of that whole, um, the bank doesn't need your money. It's insured. Who gives a shit if you steal from McDonald's? But instead, he goes like... The machine doesn't want anything. The machine doesn't get cold without a sweater. The machine doesn't need to eat. So this machine, which I have now explained to you, small child, has a soul. Like, he <laughs> he brave little toasters this gumball machine and be like, look at this thing that has a lot that is alive with hopes and dreams and thoughts. It wants for nothing. It is just, uh, it is just happy to give you gumballs because it has a personality and a brain. So he doesn't really make a good, he kind of... It's basically the same argument that people make for automation,
0: though, right? Like, it's, it's the same argument that anybody makes for any machine doing anything
1: well again sort of because he starts to do like an argument about automation but he doesn't he says like no 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 no. this the the ghost in the shell of this gumball machine (laughs) is benevolent and wants to give you gumballs for free so he doesn't really like i know the argument that you want him to be making it's and i'm on board with it because fuck yeah but he doesn't do that (laughs) <laughs> uh, like, like again, he, yeah, he starts to do some cool ass rage against machine thing of like, well, who's this fucking quarter going to, huh? Huh? Do you see him? Is someone giving you a gumball? No, this is just going to big gumball. This is just, going, <laughs> this is just going to Ga- Johnson's candy company. Fuck Johnson's. But instead he's just like, oh yeah, no, this gumball is a, uh, is Toy Story. It wants you to have this candy. We should point out that while he does this, he gives Opie, like, four gumballs. Yeah! (laughs) Opie can barely talk by the end. He's just like, and Opie's like, I'm good, He keeps stuffing him in his mouth like a chipmunk. Like, he's got extra pockets in his cheeks. Opie is actively refusing gum, and he's like, more, take mo- Tuscaroro! More. <laughs> it kind of looks like. Do you remember on Ed and Eddie? Every time
0: Ed, they would have a gumball, it would just be like yeah. a tumor sticking out the side of their fucking no, face.
1: No, it was a jawbreaker. A <laughs> it was a jawbreaker. Breaker.
0: You're right. You're right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh man. Yeah, these giant boulders that they would have crammed into their but mouth. by the end of it, like Opie says, like, please, no more. Please, oh, sir. I... I'm, I, 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 my jaw is <laughs> distended. I'm, it's, oh God, it's unhinged. I'm not a snake. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sweet. I'm going, my tiny shitty body is going to be wired for four days. You're essentially giving me meth with all this sugar.
0: Stop it. I mean, it's it. the 1960s, and, so he might actually be giving him meth.
1: They yeah, would coke no, at everything. Wait,
0: wait well cocaine cocaine
1: wait could they could they make meth back then how long is meth how long have we been able to do meth
0: like i feel like probably since about the 80s well i feel like we've always been able to do it but it just like
1: became we've been able to make amphetamines forever but we i don't think we've been able to make like meth since recently because like like out of your kitchen. We 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 got to have uh our drug guy back on the show to explain that. Answer. Uh <laughs> he is a multifaceted human being. He is more than just our drug really guy. He really is. Hi Russ. We miss you. <laughs> Hi Russ. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: we'll we'll have you on again soon. Back at the jail, Bar- Barney drags Mr. Dave in. Uh, for loitering. That's where we we already talked about this scene earlier. Mister Dave says, "Look, man, I don't want to break the law, but what the hell do you want me to do?" Uh, he says that Andy has no visible means of support, and then Andy says, "Well, you know what? I can fix that. I can fix that right now." Uh, and he gives him a job as a hedge trimmer because yeah. Aunt B wants the hedges trimmed. This is a job that Andy probably could do himself, but he just doesn't want to.
1: It feels like he's just sort of. Like, to basically, to keep him out of trouble, not to keep him out of trouble, but he's, he's doing, like, the, um, the Democrat thing of kind of, like, you know, paying, uh, people to, like, dig and fill holes. Like, Opie says later, like, my dad just literally lops the tops off these things. You don't really have to do anything big here. So he's just kind of giving him work for work's sake a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, which is... I, is I, I,
0: I'm fine with that. Like, yeah, that's, no, the, it, that's the New Deal in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, no, I was about to say, it's basically, like, the New the New Deal, which I, I think if we're gonna get political about it, is a little bit, like, he's not really addressing the issues about Mr. Dave. Like, he doesn't ask him, like, hey, man, why are you homeless? Uh, Or, like, hey, uh, do you need, like, help? He's just, like... I'm going to pay you for three days of work so that you'll stop being visibly a problem. So yeah. it's kind—it's kind of that sort of um, the like the superficial democratic half measure. It's good, but it could be better.
0: You know, I—I I think when we started this podcast, we were trying to figure out like, is Andy Griffith like? liberal progressive or is Andy Griffith like super conservative and I think the answer is it's both and if you were a child watching this show and you grew up even if you grew up left leaning you would still take weird messages from it the Andy Griffith show kind of wound up being a Rorschach test for whichever way you wanted to lean growing up
1: I think it's sort of he's like a southern democrat like if if Andy Griffith we've talked about before if Andy Griffith was alive today he'd be in the resistance he'd be like one of those guys like how dare you sir uh, I mean, you- Andy,
0: Andy Griffith, and Don Knotts, and Ron Howard all campa- campaigned uh, openly for Barack Obama.
1: Yeah, uh, um, but and- I think it's sort of like he's he's a Southern Democrat, like he's sort of like that that weird mix that happened for a long time of like uh, liberal in some ways, uh, and then like deeply conservative in other ways. I think yeah. I kind of associate it with um superficially liberal but fundamentally conservative.
0: It's it's the problems are bad but their causes their causes are very very good.
1: What like, it's the um yeah like conservatism that tries like conserv like nice conservatism is basically what I associate southern democratism with.
0: NPR uh liberals.
1: Yeah, yeah, no there's yeah. a lot of that.
0: Back to Andy's house, Opie is following uh Mr. Dave around and this relationship is going to be like the core problem, the core issue. Uh, is Opie being friends with uh, Mr. Dave. That's what the episode is titled, Opie's Hobo Friend. Uh, And uh, he's saying, so do you want to get to work chopping the the tops off of these? And uh, our very verbal, very verbose hobo friend, basically it's real high culture about this landscaping, as he's just bullshitting and coming up with excuses to not do it. Uh, He says, like, well, do we want to do this, like, Buckingham Palace style? Do we wanna like really get the idea of it? He's Tom Sawyer in this, really. He's uh but he's, he's just coming up with seasons. He's
1: he's I, being fucking awesome about it though, because he's being like like cultured and articulate about his uh his excuses to not do any work. <laughs> like this is one of the points where I'm like, Mr. Dave fucking rules. Uh, I do want to point out
0: when Mr. Dave says maybe an Oriental idea or motif is more like it, uh Earl Hagen, our show's composer again puts just a little bit of woodwind stops just short of like racist ass do yeah but it's like a a little bit of oriental
1: like mysticism kind of bullshit in the theme
0: yeah
1: yeah it does a little bit of that shit uh nothing nothing yeah. nothing too bad but like I think enough to make me go oh yeah no I feel like there was a um there was a conversation over that where like an studio a studio executive was like can you make it sound more karate uh and they was like oh, fucking hell. Yes, I'll do a fucking woodwind. Basically but- basically a- after they decide on it. Oh yeah. So yeah, he says uh he does this really cool speech about uh tomorrow is the most marvelous day that has ever been invented, because anything can happen tomorrow. Uh you can it's do basically fucking little orphan annie. Yeah. Like- if it was if he broached into song,
0: he would be just a kicky, like spunky little orphan that's hopeful. But because he's a grown man, it's like lazy and and bitter.
1: No, it's the I I wouldn't call it lazy and bitter. It's more uh the tomorrow song, but it smokes like it's kind of <laughs> like like it's that like, song. Like like, goes,
0: like 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 Tom Waits covering tomorrow.
1: Yeah, no tomorrow. Oh my god, I want to hear tomorrow. that tomorrow.
0: I love you tomorrow. You're always a day away. That was my Tom Waits, ladies and
1: gentlemen. That was pretty good. That was a pretty (laughs) good Tom Waits. (laughs) But also, I want to hear that cover desperately now. We we got we got Tom Waits for a little while longer. We should start really requesting covers from that man while just we can. Sending some stuff. Yeah, no, we should <laughs> honestly all start harassing Tom Waits. Like, we need to get him to cover everything. Like, we we made this mistake with uh with David Bowie where we didn't take advantage of him when he was still here. We need to like same with Leonard Cohen. We just need to get we just need to get Tom Waits to cover all music while he's still alive.
0: I'm sorry. So 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 basically the hobo makes some fucking excuse for doing it tomorrow and then he leaves. Yeah. Uh next scene we're in the kitchen. Uh it's I think it's the next day at breakfast. Yeah. Uh and Aunt B comes in and it's like what is going on, Opie? Why why didn't you clean your room? Like it's a mess. Yeah. And Opie like starts to repeat some of the stuff he heard the hobo say. Uh, where he's like, well, can't I do it tomorrow? Can't we talk through this through? Can't we, like, eh?
1: And, he uses this uh, new verbal jujitsu of getting out of doing shit. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing, right? Like, Andy automatically, like, makes the conclusion, and the show wants you to make the conclusion that, well, this is because there's a bad influence and there's a bad element in town. On the other hand, kids do that shit all the
1: time. Yeah. Opie would be saying that kind of shit no matter what. Well, eventually, Opie is going to figure out that you can talk your way out of shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's seven years old. He's definitely tried to get out of cleaning his room before. I I think the big thing is like, oh shit, this kid's articulate now. So actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Andy has lost verbal sparring matches with Opie before. He has lost many debates with this child over very serious topics. So if Opie's vocabulary improves, I would be worried if I was Andy. Like, this kid can already take me to the mat, and he's illiterate as shit. If he learns metaphors, I'm absolutely fucked as a parent.
0: It's kind of like Andy knows that, and that's why his default is, like, threat of physical violence. Yep,
1: nope. I think this is the second time in the series that Andy threatens to beat Opie. But he says, like, yeah. your tomorrow's gonna be pretty goddamn sore if you don't... He doesn't say goddamn. Your tomorrow is gonna be pretty goddamn sore if you don't uh, clean your room. Or listen to... He just tells him to listen to Aunt Babe. And then, like, yeah, Opie, exactly. like, grumbles out of the kitchen.
0: Next scene, like, the hobo, uh, Mr. Dave, is there, and he's about to cut the hedges. Uh, but then he, like, makes an excuse. He's like, hey. he Again, he's just smooth talking. Tells a little story to Opie about hearing a fish jump. Uh, wondering what side that lake is. Uh, says that he made a little invention called the golly wobbler, which is like a fancy little lure. He says he um, can hear that,
1: fish because he's, quote, part Indian, unquote. Uh, or
0: yeah, that's, that's definitely like a, a rural bullshit line here. hear.
1: Yeah, no, I um, feel like you can't, like, during this time period, you couldn't go 20 minutes without someone, quote, co- like, claiming to be part Native American, and that's why they have a fucking superpower.
0: Like, I mean, that's that's some shit that white people love to say. white people love to say that they were like one sixteenth Cherokee or whatever. and honestly all that tells me is that like, okay, cool, so your great granddad raped someone yeah like
1: but, but they it's always I think it, i I wonder how often it happens recently, but like it always used to be like I'm part Native American and that's why I have super strength when there's a full moon. Like I I, I I feel like I heard that growing up. I feel like that happened fairly yeah, recently. I'm, but... I'm one-fifth Cherokee. That's why I can transform into a wolf. Like, it, like white people love to use na- being Native American as reasons why they are a member of the Fantastic Four.
0: In fairness to Mr. Dave, he never actually wanted to cut these bushes. He didn't even ask for money. He didn't ask for a job. He was just threatened with arrest if he didn't, essentially. Yeah. He's basically an indentured servant, so I don't fucking blame him for saying, I don't want to do this and pissing off to go fishing. Yeah. Which is all he wanted to do in the first place. Uh,
1: Even, it wasn't a real job. Like, Andy just gave him a fuck-off task to keep him busy, and he was like, okay, well, I'm going to half-ass the task that you don't give a shit about, so fucking whatever.
0: He pisses off, and then Opie starts to go to school, and then Opie's like, I don't want to fucking go to school. I'm seven years old and there's other shit to do. So he hides his tiny little, like, belt that he strapped his books together with.
1: Yeah, he just throws yeah, I... it under a bush. <laughs> like, he literally, he, he doesn't it's... even throw it under the bush. He puts it next to a bush and scampers away. How is, his dad is a con man and also the sheriff. How is Opie so bad at crime? And then not only does that, the first place he fucking
0: goes is right to the jailhouse. Yeah. He runs straight to the jailhouse because I guess that's where his fishing pole is. Yeah, he tries uh, to break and, into
1: a jail as a child. And that's
0: that's where Barney catches uh him. And the, so the next scene, we're back in the kitchen and Barney drags uh Opie in and says, hey, I caught Opie playing hooky. He was trying to break into the jail cell. Uh And then Barney says what is, I think, the, like, core conflict of this episode where barney says hey your pal your buddy your fucking dick friend mr dave is starting to affect your boy basically saying like if you let this this guy be around much longer he's gonna like send your your son down the wrong path and that is the clear like conceit of this entire episode i
1: gotta say is this the most right that Barney has been for an entire episode not like right right but this is the most vindicated that he has been on the show right yeah Bar- Barney's Barney's
0: definitely like correct in the show's logic like he's definitely uh like got the right idea here yeah or at least we're supposed to agree with him or possibly maybe your kid could grow up to be Don Draper like maybe he's going to be the head of a of a like 1960s ad agency. Who knows? Or yeah, there was an entire like episode of Mad Men that I I rewatched right before this where like young Don Draper uh in the in the Great Depression, we should point out, but Don Draper has like flashbacks to when he was a kid uh and a hobo came to their house. His stepmom took pity on the hobo, and similar to this episode, his father promises a coin promises some money for a full day's work and then does not give it to him. Uh, and it's like this poignant moment where young Don Draper realizes, Oh wait, my dad's kind of a dick. My dad's a dishonest man. They put a little symbol on their him. Anyway, that was set in the 1930s. Like it makes sense a little bit yeah. more sense anyway for like young Don Draper to encounter a, a hobo passing through than it does for young opie taylor to and this is another one of those weird things right if you were an adult watching this in the 1960s maybe that's something you could relate to you could have maybe you had the experience of meeting uh, a hobo on the road when you were a child when you were a child in the 1960s watching this that doesn't like it, I'm not going to say it's not likely, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's definitely less likely. Okay. This entire scenario does not make sense in 1962, and then I remembered that Mad Men and The Andy Griffith Show are supposedly set at the exact same time, and then I had to go lay down.
1: I think I have an explanation for the hobo and his whole deal. Hoboing wasn't a thing in the 60s! It
0: was not a big thing in the 60s! This was not a likely scenario to happen in 1962!
1: So, I think my explanation for it is that, uh, Mr. Dave doesn't- It doesn't represent, like, the current state of things. That there's just homeless men wandering from- from town to town. I think he sort of is supposed to be like a, um, a relic of a bygone era. Like, he's sort of, uh, he's keeping it alive. Like, he's sort of, um- he he's the la- he's not a hobo, he's the last hobo.
0: He's not the littlest hobo though. We've encountered the littlest hobo on this show, and that's a fucking dog.
1: A fucking dog with a gun. Uh it's a yeah. it's an armed dog. Uh,
0: if you want to hear us talk about the littlest hobo, please contribute to our Patreon.
1: So, I think he's supposed to represent like the lawlessness of the 1930s. This this period where there were just, you know, wandering uh wandering vagrant laborers, everything was really cutthroat, you had to be constantly like like conning and conniving and living by the skin of your teeth. And he sort of represents that era. And this is supposed to be uh Andy Griffith sort of saying, like, those times are over, we don't do that anymore. Counter argument. Counter argument please remember that
0: Mr. Dave is not a noble character. He's not the noble kind of, of hobo that goes and asks for work and is looking and is just down on his luck. He's the kind that doesn't want to work at all. Uh, and in that episode of Mad Men that I was talking about, uh, they specifically ask this hobo, are you a communist? And the hobo attempts to like stick up for communists, saying like, hey, they'll take a billy club to the jaw like anyone else. And they're like, no, nah, communists can't be saved. So, again, move this up to 1962, same ideas 30 years later. Um, our hobo here, Mr. Dave, probably still represents those new kind of like hippie, uh, Whoa. hobos who are just lazy communists and those communists that don't want to work and spend everyone else's money. Okay. That's what I feel like we're dealing with here. Cause remember, it, the, the, the basic foundation of why Mr. Dave is bad as opposed to like some of the families that, get uh evicted or whatever is that he doesn't care about work. well
1: let's go into the next bullet point of mr dave's character because the next scene is okay. the jail where uh barney is on the phone with somebody and he he gets off and he's like it's a crime wave it's complete chaos out there miss Mal- whatever the shit her name is uh, an old lady had a pie stolen off her windowsill Uh, and then a farmer just reported that one of his chickens has been stolen. It's a one man crime wave. Guess who that one man is. So it's not that Mr. Dave is, it's not that he's just like surviving on fish. Um, it's that he is a thief. So I think I wouldn't call him like a communist or like necessarily just anti-status quo, He does. This is the point where I'm kind where I kind of like soured on him a little bit because I was like, oh, man, you're not really anti authoritarianism or anti like stat. You're not like fucking punk rock or rage against the machine. You're just stealing shit from like normal people. You know, like it, it it kinda
0: depends on how like well off you believe the town of Mayberry is, which we have learned is
1: not well off at yeah, all. So like he, most of these people are in fucking poverty. Yeah, he's like, stealing it's, from it's, old. It's, like, it's not that he's he's not like robbing banks like Dillinger, you know, like
0: it's it's not that big of a deal that Andy gets his sandwich stolen because Andy knows he's gonna get another sandwich. He's got a limited, su- or unlimited supply of sandwiches. But from what we've seen, like if you steal one of these people's chickens, they could die.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, everyone in May. This is th- these are people like he's stealing from old ladies and and fucking laborers. So it's yeah. not. It's the old South Park trick of um you take someone who has a viewpoint and then you also make them do something fucked up. So you take, so you, in this case, you have them be like, uh, I don't believe in the, uh, you know, the, I I don't believe in working and owning property. And then you also make them do something super fucked up in this case, stealing from people. Um, yeah. So it makes a, it, it, it doesn't make a, a lack of sense, but it feels like they're sort of doing a, um, uh, they're doing a screed against not buying into the whole system by making him a thief. That's their their trick to making it work.
0: I'm still saying that that the hobo represents communism, but all right, well uh,
1: maybe not. He, he's I think no, he's more I, I, like he's he's more anarchy.
0: Remember, this is not a David Adler episode who has shown like communist sympathizers. This is a new dude on the on the beat.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think he's he's supposed to be like anarchy. He's he's every man for him, not necessarily every man for himself, but he's more like I, I mean maybe it's communist in that he doesn't respect property.
0: Counterpoint from a from a like right-wing point of view, communism equals socialism equals anarchism. They're all the same.
1: Yeah, no, actually now that I'm thinking about it, communism is kind of like I Like, they all thought, like, communism, someone can just walk up and take your chicken. So, maybe? I mean, I still hear that argument today, so. Yeah, Yeah. no, exactly. So, maybe it is, he is supposed to be a communist in that, like, he just takes shit that he needs whenever he needs it and doesn't really, like, pay that much mind to property?
0: Or, maybe, like always, we're putting way more thought into this than the writers ever did.
1: Yeah, no, I think he just represents Crime. I think it's yeah. No, we may. I think we're giving it way more credit. He just represents crime and not buying into the social contract. That's that's so, fucking it. So so
0: enter Opie. Uh, Andy offers Opie some lunch, and Opie says, "Oh, I already had lunch with Mister Dave. Uh, he gave me a roast chicken and a pie." And honestly, Andy, this is what you fucking get when you just let your kid wander around wherever he wants and don't ever keep track of him and let him hang out with an adult man by, yeah. on his own. Like, this is this is what you get, man. Like, yeah. This is what you get when you don't monitor your child.
1: I get helicopter parents a little bit more from this of like, OK, yeah, I mean, we used to like talk about the heyday when kids could just like go come and go wherever they please and just wander around and now I'm like, oh man, this uh, this the this, this sketchy ass dude is is given Opie stolen chicken. I get it. I get why you're freaked out.
0: Opie literally accepts candy from a stranger in this episode. So
1: yeah, do you think this shit was pretty common? Of like, like th- maybe this is why uh, helicopter parenting happened. Is like during this time period, kids would just come home and be like. A homeless person gave me pie. I ate it. And then parents being like, oh, crap. Maybe this was super common where kids would just, like, come home and be like, some super sketchy shit happened to me. All right, I'm going to bed now. This is your, this is a little bit your fault, Andy. Come on, keep track of your kid. No, I think it's been well established. This is just another brick in the wall of Andy Griffith is a shitty dad.
0: Barney's like runs out because he's gonna do a roadblock. He's like out for blood. Uh, yeah, and, and and this is this is where like the key line comes in. O- Opie says that uh, Mister Dave got that food from magic. He's gonna give Opie some steak, and then he says, "Man, pa, hobo, sure seems a lot more fun than sheriffin." Th- that can be read two ways. Number one, breaking the law is way more fun than like upholding the law. But also, man, dad. This new guy that shows up is way cooler than you and that's what <laughs> that's what sets Andy off right yeah. someone else in in that regard he's no different than Barney right yeah. somebody else is getting a little bit of attention and affection and that gets Andy to the fucking core and we've seen this we've seen this numerous times right just a personal slight against Andy someone else is being held in either as much or more regard than Andy and he's just Snaps.
1: Yeah, no. Anytime like anytime Opie acknowledges that another human being is cooler than Andy, Andy immediately goes like, Well, this person needs to vanish. He tells the he tells Mr. Dave to get the shit out of Dodge. If Mr. Dave had been like, Well, I don't think the next immediate smash cut would be him in a shallow grave.
0: Like Yeah. I mean, this is this is really where Barney fulfills his purpose on the show, which is to shift the Overton window and overreact so much that Andy's bullshit seems sane. Cuz yeah. Barney's just like, "Let's tear gas this guy." And <laughs> Andy, Andy because he says no to the tear gas seems like the rational one here.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, the, again, this show is essentially Andy being A a fairly decent human being and taking a very sensible view of, you know, poverty and just sort of, you know, human decency and being thoroughly and aggressively punished. While Don Knotts wants to tear, we are not exaggerating, wants to tear gas a homeless person and (laughs) tries to load his gun. That's the line. Yeah. He requests getting tear gas. Which, how? How does he think that that's even vaguely, like, tear gas is for dispersing large crowds?
0: Hasn't it been established that there is some, like, there is a tear gas canister somewhere around the jailhouse that Andy had to hide from Barney and then he forgot where he put it?
1: There is a tear gas canister, like, in their, uh, in, like, one of their back closets that is just with barney Five's ejaculate like he just goes to the bathroom back room and just like frantically jerks off on it every thursday oh my god we're gonna have to do this show in front of kids (laughs) Uh, (laughs) this episode alone we've said fuck like over 200 times we're so screwed
0: so andy leaves barney and then he goes out to like a shed in the middle of nowhere, like, a ho- basically, like, where Mr. Dave has set up his hobo camp. Yeah. Uh, and Mr. Dave's just like, oh, hey, where's Opie? And, uh, and he's like, cut the shit, man. Yeah. Cut the shit. I know about the chicken. And
1: he gives some
0: bullshit line about, uh... A uh, sports
1: car ran the chicken over, and he didn't get the guy's plates.
0: By the way, sports cars running through town is apparently a common theme in this season. They friggin hated it.
1: They were so mad about sports cars back then.
0: Something fast is passing by our town and not even stopping to look at how charming <laughs> it is.
1: We fucking restored this guy's house. How dare you drive <laughs> fast past it? Just uh, like every between all of these episodes there was like one occasion of just a like a red like sports car blasting through town and then just be like, "We're charming you piece of shit." You can't even see it at the speed you're going. Look it, at it, how it, delightful it, this
0: barber shop is. It really feels like that's something that just the writing room had a personal like vendetta against. Like maybe there was just like some asshole that just kept driving past Charles Ellison's
1: window late at night, and he was just like, "Well, I'm going to show you." <laughs> or these curmudgeonly old men, like, "Do you see how they're making cars now? Look at these these young people with their with their topless vehicles." My God. If you can go over 30 miles an hour, how are you supposed to see America? Has the national highway system been built yet at this point? I I wonder. Probably. You know, a better podcast would Google this, but, you know, we're just going to hypothesize wildly. So I'm going to say
0: yes. All right. So uh, Andy has this good line like, all right, well, what hit the pie then? (laughs) Yeah. And and, uh, Mr. Dave doesn't have a response. And then these two pretty much turn into, like, two divorced parents, basically. Yeah. (laughs) They have a speech fight.
1: Mr. Dave basically says, like, okay, well, I'm, uh, I'm gonna leave town. And Andy says, like, well, the problem I have is that there's something wrong with Opie's thinking. Uh, you got him, you got him trained that, uh, he doesn't need to work, that he, uh, that, that crime is okay, Basically, that he can do whatever he wants. And Mr. Dave then proceeds to do a kick-ass speech that I insist you cut in here. Fine,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll do the speech fight. I'll do the speech fight clip here. Well, Sheriff, maybe I do look at things differently than other people. Is that wrong? I live by my wits. I'm not above bending the law now and then to keep clothes on my back or food in my stomach. I live the kind of life that other people would just love to live if they only had the courage. Who's to say that the boy would be happier your way or mine? Why not let him decide? Buddy Epson kills this monologue.
1: Rushes that monologue. And also the monologue is really well written. I feel like they're trying to write Mr. Dave as being like a piece of shit, but it's so good that I don't. I'm like, yeah, Mister Dave. Fuck yeah. Yeah, you're not buying into the status quo or the social contract. You're punk rock as shit. It's supposed to be like this big villainous speech, and it super isn't. Uh, but his his whole thing is um, he like Mister Dave wants Opie to decide for himself if he wants to live his way or Andy's way, and Andy says he can't because the the wrong way of doing things is often the shiniest and kids don't realize that they have hooks in them until it's too late. No, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a youngin decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. The wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. That means that you're inviting me to leave. That's right. Well, you're wearing a badge, so I leave. That wasn't so difficult. Your problem solved. That's where you're wrong. That boy thinks just about everything you do is perfect. So my problem's just beginning. You've left behind an awful lot of unscrambling to be done. Now look here.
0: Goodbye, Mr. Dave. It the, the whole fishing lure thing is a metaphor remember that uh mr dave gave opie a a shiny fancy fishing lure that he made uh so it's a big metaphor for that uh basically he's saying my son has the intelligence of a fucking trout dude
1: like let him decide for himself my son's stupid as shit fuck you you convinced him that gumballs machines are sentient like 20 minutes ago you prick yeah, yeah. Let, yeah, let's let my idiot son decide this, you asshole. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. And to be
0: fair, I have to, I have to take Andy's side on this one. Kids are dumb. Yeah, kids are real, real dumb.
1: Yeah, no, no, <laughs> he is absolutely right in this regard. A. Opie should not be making his own decisions. He's illiterate. He cannot
0: yeah. read. This- Opie should not be making his own decisions because Opie decided to hang out with an adult homeless yeah. man for three days. Yeah, that's why Opie can't make his own decisions.
1: Yeah, no, Opie apparently does not have friends his own age. He just hangs out with wandering drifters. We have seen Opie
0: is trying to get murdered. Like it's amazing how many bad decisions we've made. That seen this child make.
1: Opie, I feel like Opie. Street smarts. <laughs> I feel like there's a deleted scene where Opie is like, hey, Mr. Dave, did you know that you can fit both your hands around my entire neck? Why don't you try it? Fun fact about me, I easily fit in the trunk of any car. My dad says I'll be too big for that soon.
0: Andy's basically like, all right, I am uh, politely inviting you to leave, but now I got to deprogram this shit. And honestly, Andy, no, you don't. No, you don't. Kids,
1: go through this shit. Opie will forget about this guy in a week. He breezed past him teaching Opie that women shouldn't be allowed to vote. He was like, yeah, no, that won't settle into the folds of his brain at all. Oh, but him thinking that you don't have to work? That, we need to get that the shit out of there. But, like, he's, he's just, like, taught Opie all of these really bad lessons over the last season and a half. And then just been like, well... That damage is done. Sure, it's fine. Later. I'm out of here. And now this one's like, well, you taught him that he doesn't have to have a job. So this is real. This is DEFCON 1 we're at. All right. So,
0: hey, remember a couple of episodes where uh, a woman beats Andy at his own game and then gives him a pity win? Uh, That's about to happen again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Real reoccurring theme. Back at the jail, Barney... Brings Mr. Dave in again. Yeah. He says, I caught him this time. I caught him with Aunt B's purse. He stole someone's purse. It says Aunt B right inside there. And Mr. Dave's like, yeah, you caught me red-handed. And They, they lock him up.
1: Yeah, Opie enters, Uh, and, like, here's the story. I don't know why Opie is just wandering into the damn jail, but whatever. He stands right up next to this, you know arrested criminal just gets again right in strangling distance uh as this, he always does yeah yeah his his favorite place to be arms reached of an arrested man and, and just kind of like stares up at him and it's just sort of is disappointed in the hope. like you stole aunt b's purse and barney like throws him in the jail like i swear to god it's almost like he wanted to get nabbed he just walked right in front of me holding a purse and you know what i did i looked at him i was like that doesn't seem to be his purse. The joke being that Barney's a shitty cop.
0: I don't know you. That's my purse. Yeah.
1: So then,
0: like, Opie's like, but that's where Aunt B puts money. Yeah to buy food like it's just suddenly piecing it together and like I'll give little Ronnie Howard this he has murder in his eyes oh
1: my god so there is a shot of Ron little Ronnie Howard in the, the, the foreground while uh, Andy and Barney stand behind him and just Ron Howard looking so hurt and pissed off like I, this is the episode where Ron Howard learned how to be an actor also the shot composition is beautiful
0: yeah, oh yeah, Bob Sweeney rules this stuff. Uh, yeah, so good job. Yeah. Uh, acc- acclaimed director and filmmaker Ron Howard. Before, before Opie returns, he does this like cold wordless thing where he takes the lure, the golly wobbler that Mr. Dave gave him. And he puts it on the like table and he just walks away from it. He gives it back and he walks away. And I'm just like, at this point, because I know what Mr. Dave is doing because I'm not an idiot.
1: I feel bad for the dude because it seems like he really did like Opie. Oh, no, he loved Opie. He, I mean, I feel like he really liked Opie because Opie just listened to him ramble uh, and just yeah, kind yeah. of like agreed and and believed absolutely anything he said about the very nature of reality.
0: So he gives it away and he's like a little heartbroken and then uh here's the climax is that uh Andy comes over and goes, Huh, so you uh you stole this pocketbook, huh? Well, I happen to know that Aunt B threw this pocketbook away this morning.
1: Yeah, he arrested him for trash picking. Essentially. He he basically says, like, I appreciate you letting yourself get arrested so that Opie will think you're a piece of shit. It's not a, it's not a crime to, to trash pick, so uh Get out of here and get on a train.
0: Which, as a reminder, is what this dude wanted to do in the first place. Yeah. If Barney had just let him get on a train three days ago, none of this would have happened.
1: What I wanted to happen is immediately after Mr. Dave, like, solemnly strolls out of the the courthouse, I just wanted one of the farmers to come and be like, Hey, did you catch that guy that stole my chicken? That really (laughs) hurt me financially. (laughs) <laughs> i feel like this show has forced me to like beat the drum of like enforce the law andy but at the same time i'm kind of like man why do you get to to, to decide when the, when the law should be enforced like this motherfucker stole from people who needed that shit. just just do your job ever i feel like we come across way more pro cop on this show than
0: we actually are we're just pro the law being enforced ever or equally at least, the
1: at least being problem. enforced like yeah across the board equally equally because that's the thing because uh, all right i think i've i've crystallized what pisses me off is like i mean that's a thing that cops like it's a way that like corrupt cops enforce power is they selectively enforce or don't enforce the law so if you're the co- if you're a person the cop likes they don't arrest you for a thing that you did wrong or if you're like a family member of a cop you don't get arrested so it's a way that cops have power. I think that's what pisses me off is like, I always hate that he gets to decide whether or not a crime is a crime and it's just totally down to his gut.
0: And is in fact praised for it on numerous occasions.
1: Yeah. And yeah. it's, and, and like the people that this motherfucker stole from didn't get a call. Like maybe the old lady would have been chill with him wandering off. Maybe like she would have been like, Oh yeah, hell yeah. He's, he's hungry. Oh, I'm I guess that's okay. Maybe the farmer would have been like, "I have other chickens. It's cool." But, but maybe not say into it. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe he would have been like, "All right, so I need him to pay me for that chicken that was expensive. Uh, I needed to breed that chicken or fucking whatever. I needed those eggs to right. sell for my livelihood, like." Yeah, no, I think I'm anti-Andy being able to pick and choose when he enforces the law.
0: Uh, Alright, so then he lets the hobo go, and he goes on a train, and this entire thing was stupid. Uh, the Stinger and- uh, Stinger is basically back to... Was magic new in the 1960s? <laughs> I feel like magic comes up a lot in this. Barney is trying to do like sleight of hand magic into Stinger here. Uh, yeah and then he gets uh, completely shown up by a by opie who like manages to pull off the trick that barney cannot do and then barney throws a little fit and throws his magic book yeah, in the trash it's, it's yeah and
1: then he calls magic stupid you know like a child would like a like a like a small small child would was, was
0: magic a new and novel thing in the 1960s because they really love this fucking gag what
1: year did the prestige take place yep yeah. so, so we've no. had we've had magic for a while yeah, no, maybe close-up magic was new. Maybe it was like magic that you can do in your own home. Maybe, maybe it was like that. But I, something I, I, don't think we, we touched on. I was like, it's this is this this portrayal of Mister Dave was really like an old version of being homeless. Like, I mean, there's all there's the element of like, oh, he's a he's a wandering homeless person that talks about magic and and has his own language and philosophy. But it, it really is like being this old idea that being homeless was a lifestyle and not a, you know. Being poor condition. is a choice. Yeah, yeah. It's really maximum being poor is a choice where yeah. it's sort of like, hey, man, check it out. Being poor kicks ass. You don't have to feel bad for these people, they're living the life. Like, which, it, which is it,
0: like it's it's still a very per- pervasive idea today you know
1: yeah yeah no it's it's definitely like i think we're just now getting out from under that like 1920s idea of homeless people where they're like fucking disney characters who like who never die and do magic and ooh they have their special ho- their special hobo songs and they 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 can get food whenever they need to they know where all the pies are. Like that, that whole thing of like like homeless people aren't really serious. Like, oh, it's it's like fashion. They it, it treats being homeless like a fashion choice. Kinda sounds,
0: Dan, like uh you're already getting into this. You want to do some ratings? Fuck, ratings for this is gonna be hard.
1: Um I guess so alright, Andy ratings I mean. This is a Ms- good
0: episode. It, it's it's one of the most well-written episodes. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of moral ambiguity here. Uh, our guest star absolutely kills it, as does Andy during their speech fight. Yeah! It's, this is a good episode of television. Uh, and if you're on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, I do encourage you to go ahead and watch it at home. Uh, I'm going to give this an 8.
1: I'm going to say a nine. I mean, Mr. Dave, for as morally complicated as he is in like a meta context, is a whip ass rage against the machine fucking rock and roller of a character who I am very on board for and I hope comes back. So, yeah, yeah, I'd say like a nine. I don't think he does. I think this is just kind of a one off because he definitely doesn't. But it would be awesome if he did. Just as like for the, the,
0: for the rest of this show's run. Buddy Ebsen was, was busy on his own show.
1: It would rule if he was, like, the Moriarty to Andy's, uh, Sherlock, where he just, like, came back and, like, fucked with him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, alright, so, I'm saying eight, you're gonna say nine. Uh, I'm just being a little conservative here, because there are episodes that I like a little bit more, including the one we're gonna do next week. Uh, and, uh, so, Five Meter is weird on this one, right? (sighs) Like, like, it's... it, 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 it pretty definitively takes a... Like poor people are lazy, kind of approach to this, but it also portrays uh, our hobo friend fairly sympathetically. It's it's it, amb- it's ambiguous, and for that, I'm gonna give it like a four fives.
1: I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say six. I think it's it's pr- it's trying to be even handed about homeless people, but it's doing so in like a deeply conservative context. So it's worse. Like it's, it's basically it like, it's, it's really giving him like his, his fair say and, and like letting him justify being homeless, but it's letting him justify being homeless on the basis that it's something he wants to do. Like, yeah. 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 So yeah, six, I'm going to say six. It's not, the it's trying. I think it's like trying to be forward thinking, but it, it The overall mindset is so fucked up that it is worse. Yeah. Alright,
0: so that's going to sum it up for this week of Breaking Mayberry. Uh, as always, I am Marty and this is Dan. If you like the show, be sure to like, subscribe, review. Make sure you do that. It helps us get into other people's earbuds and helps us mess with Apple Podcasts uh, algorithms and puts us in search engines alongside of podcasts that are way better than us. And we helped and we, it helps us trick other people into listening to us instead of them. Uh, yeah. Don't forget if you are in Philadelphia uh, on the twenty seventh of January, you can watch us try to do this whole shtick live uh, as part of a fundraiser to help cancer patients. Uh, and if you want to support us in other ways, you can always hit us up on our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash breakingmayberry, where you can get bonus content, stuff that was deleted, uh, help pick uh, episodes to torture us with, and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, if you want to follow us online and get information on live shows and other things, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at breakmayberry, facebook.com slash breakingmayberry. Uh, email us if you got something to say, if you want some information, uh, we are com. I want to, I never got to talk about the Hobo Union in this episode, so if you want to hear me talk about that, hit me up!
1: <laughs> Damn it! Oh, fuck, yeah, no, I, we didn't get, yeah, we didn't get to go into hobo shit nearly as much. I want to talk about Rock Candy Mountain so bad.
0: Uh, maybe, maybe we'll make that extra, like, bonus material, whatever. Uh, yeah. We might record that later.
1: Other than that, uh, on the internet, I am
0: at Schneid Remarks. That's S C H N E I D Remarks. I'm at the LUDs with two D's. Thank you, as usual, for listening and supporting us. We will see you all down at the fishing hole. Yeah, I'll come back. <laughs>